Hi, everybody. I'm Mitch Album, the host of Tuesday People, the podcast based on the inspirations of Tuesdays with Maury, a book I wrote back in 1995, whose questions and lessons just seem to keep reverberating in my life and the life of many, many people around the world and those in our audience who have joined us. Lisa Goitsch is alongside, as always, my friend and producer of this podcast. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. Nice to see you, as always. Holding up all right in California. Trying. Trying. Well, that's all we can do. We're very fortunate. Yeah, you're fortunate, right? You're there. It's warm. You're not in Texas or some of the southern states that are dealing with this sudden freeze, which has caught so many people off guard. And we thought that we would actually tailor today's program a little bit around that because it has caused a lot of people in the state of Texas and other states uh, that don't traditionally get cold weather to have to suddenly deal with what we here in Michigan, and uh, and Lisa's from Michigan, so she knows too, um, sort of deal with on a regular basis. Uh, right. As I'm broadcasting here now, I'm looking out at at least a foot and a half of snow that has accumulated over the wow. course of the last uh, week or two. It's just we got a snowfall and then another snowfall and then another snowfall. It just snows on top of the snow. It doesn't melt. And so it just every day you come out, you just see it's a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. But of course, we signed up for that by choosing to live in a Midwestern, Northern state. Uh, People in the state of Texas say, whoa, this is the reason we moved to Texas, to get away from this kind of stuff. But I have always found that blackouts, losing power, uh, freezeouts, whatever the case is, the air conditioner goes on the fritz for, for weeks in the summer, are very instructional moments in terms of what we really do need and what we don't need. What are vital possessions mm-hmm. and not so vital possessions? And we're going to explore that today. And of course, Maury, as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, continued a relationship with possessions that he had basically had during the course of his healthy life, which was they don't really make much of a difference to him. I, I can say this honestly about Maury having known him when he was perfectly healthy and I was a college student back at Brandeis University and, of course, having visited him when he was dying in his final Tuesdays, and he was exactly the same. He never dressed well. He never had fancy clothes or fancy shoes. His shoes were more like the penny loafer type. He used to wear, when he was a college professor, he used to wear a uh, yellow turtlenecks. I mean, the kind of stuff that you would buy today in, in at best Target and uh, at worst maybe at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, he just, uh, jeans or old pants. And there, there was not an ounce of pretense about him. His home was very simple and his uh, possessions were very simple. And so his thoughts on, on this subject, I think, will be pertinent. And we'll share some of those, uh, the sound of our conversations in a minute or two. I'm always re- reminded when I talk about possessions and the things that we have in our home, about a, an old parable, perhaps you know it, about a man who feels that his house is just too small. It's just cramped, and there's just no room to do anything. He turns, and he's bumping into a wall. He turns, and he's bumping into something else, and he just has to have a, a bigger place. So he goes to the local wise man, in the town, and he says, you got to help me. There's no room. I've outgrown my small little house. 
I turn, I bump into this. I turn, I bump into that. There's no place to put anything. Shelves and boxes, everything's packed. But I don't have the money for a new house, but I need a new house. So the wise man thinks for a second. He says, do you have a goat? Well, yeah. Move the goat inside the house. So he goes home. He moves the goat inside the house. A couple of days later, he goes back to the wise man. He says, I don't know what you thought that was going to do, but it's worse. Now, in addition to bumping into all my stuff, I turn around, I bump into the goat. Plus, the goat makes noise all day. And I got to get a new house. The guy says, uh, do you have uh, a cow? Well, yeah, a farm, a cow. Put the cow in the house. He goes home, he puts the cow in the house. <laughs> Comes back a couple days later. Okay, I don't know what game you're playing here, but uh, <laughs> now I turn, I bump into the goat. If I get away from the goat, I bump into the cow. Not to mention all the droppings that the cow was leaving inside the house, on top of which all the boxes and the shelves, and I, there's just no room in my house. I got to get a bigger house. He said, one more thing, the wise man says. Find an elephant and put the elephant in the so he finds an elephant, a baby elephant, apparently, to get him through the door. It is a parable, after all. And he puts the <laughs> elephant in the house. Later that afternoon, he doesn't even make it through another day. He goes racing back to the wise man. He says, this is awful. He says, I, 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 can't, I can't go left. I can't go right. Every inch I turn, I bump into an animal. I step into something that smells awful. The, the, the elephant's making noise. The goat is making noise. The cow is mooing and all the shelves in the box. This is ridiculous. I, I, I have no place to move. So the wise man says to him, okay, get rid of the elephant, the goat, and the cow. So a man goes home, happily gets rid of the elephant, the goat, and the cow. And the next day he comes to the wise man, he says, I don't know what you did, but it worked. The house is so big now. <laughs> Hopefully you follow the logic of that. You didn't need a new house. You just needed to appreciate that your house was actually bigger than you thought it was and could contain more than you thought. And how did you do that? Well, you put yourself in a new set of circumstances. Those set of circumstances were the cow, the goat, and the elephant. Now when you got to deal with the cow, the goat, and the elephant, suddenly it's like, hey, if I could just have my old house back, I'd never complain about a thing. Again, and that's exactly right. what he got. And so the small house became a big house without him ever having to buy a new house. This is, this is a, a parable that, that, that holds up for all of our lives. And I, you know, I, I ask you now, as you're listening to us, presumably it's at home. If you're in a car, then use your imagination. Look around the room that you're in or look at the rooms that are within your view and ask yourself if I, the house was on fire and I only had 30 seconds to grab the most important things in, that I see within my vision, how much of what you see within your vision would you actually risk your life to take <laughs> with you? Because if you stay more than 30 seconds in the fire, you're going you're gonna to die in the fire. So you got 30 okay. seconds to get out, all right? Look around. Okay. All right, uh -huh. now, now let's just do this within, within your and my cases, all right? I'm in my office, downstairs yeah. in my office. Uh, I'm surrounded by books, equipment, 
musical equipment, uh, you know, all kinds of electronic equipment, uh, some old tchotchkes and souvenirs and things that I've gotten for over the years, uh, some little statues, some artwork, uh, all kinds of office supplies and pens and papers and computers and phones and coffee cups and things like that. Okay, that's the room that I'm in here now. What room are you in, Lisa? I am in my closet. Okay. This is where I do my show from. Okay. And Can you uh, see out into the room outside the closet, your bedroom? Oh, it doesn't matter. My closet, my closet contains everything I'll ever need. Okay. <laughs> um, and can this be like supermarket sweep in the thirty seconds? Yes, you got to. Yeah, you got to go quickly. <laughs> but also, you're limited um, by what can fit in your arms. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I would probably bring. I mean, in my closet, I have everything: all my clothes, my shoes, my computers are in here because I do the podcast from here. Um, you know, because it's nice and the sound is good. It's silent in here. Right. Uh, I'd probably bring this so I don't lose all of our sacred Tuesday People podcast shows. Okay. Um, my work computer is next to me. Uh, I think every. I probably have to bring that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I. My dogs. So that's two computers. Your dogs. Two computers. Okay. My dogs, and then I have a couple little um, knickknacks that were my mom's. Like I think truly that's all I would need. Uh, yeah. But you know, I would be super heartbroken if. All of these lovely shoes and sweaters I had um, went by the wayside. Well, I didn't ask you if you'd be heartbroken. I asked, what do you really need? Now, you said, okay. All I need, yes. You said the computers. My computers and my. Okay, so I think that that most people would say today, and this is a modern development, most people would say, I had to grab my computer. It's got all my stuff in it. And and I'm not going to come down hard on that because. Computers can have a lot more than just work stuff in it. Computers can have yes. videos and photos and all kinds of things like that. So, But most computers, certainly laptop computers, can fit in your hands. Desktop computers yeah. are a little, little harder. Even if you're going to walk out with a giant tower, that, that's going to be difficult. <laughs> no, uh, but these days, laptop. they don't have giant towers anymore. They just have uh, you know small drives, and you can just grab the drive and leave the monitor. All right, so as you say you grab that, that can fit into your arms. In my case, in my office, which is stuffed with yeah, all kinds of take? things. Well, I'm not going to take the pianos, and I'm not going to take I the guitars, and I'm not going to take that. I'm going to take the photos of Chica. And my, I see that you know, right behind you. Yeah, yep. there's a little photo of Chica right I behind me right that there's only you. one of in the world. So I'm going to take that and uh, and any other things that I have. It's a drawing, really, so I can't even replicate it off of a computer. And I'm looking at a little coffee cup that she drew on that she wrote, I love Mr. Mitch, and I'm going to grab that, you know, and and a couple things along those lines, and I'll grab the, the, the iPad. Um, I'll leave the comrex machine that allows me to broadcast it because you can always get another one of those and i'm out of here and that won't take me 30 seconds but that means that all the rest of this stuff around me and there is a great deal of it is not essential to my existence Mm -hmm. it helps it's nice but when was the last time i read these books up on these shelves here when was the last time i went through the papers that are stacked over there when was the last time i played that particular guitar over there or used that little amplifier over there or or really studied that photo that that painting on the wall poster that i had framed or other things like that or that piece of art was you know a couple hundred dollars and it it hangs on the wall do i how often do i stay sit and stare at it and say, wow, isn't that great stuff? There's so much of that that's around us that we don't 
really require, and if you really go through your whole house that way, I bet you could come up with enough stuff that you could take in your arms, and, and that would be it. So when we are faced with these kinds of situations that cause us to really evaluate what we miss, what we need, and what we can do without, the answer is always it's a lot less than we thought. It's a lot mm-hmm. less than we thought. Um, I'm looking now along those lines in the National Gandhi Museum in India. Wow! Where you know there you can you can look at you know a whole. Is there anything in there? <laughs> well, that's well, my Gandhi one, joke. Well, one, <laughs> one of the things is his final possessions when he died mm-hmm. are on display, and they have them all laid out. And basically, I'm looking at uh, two pairs of sandals, mm-hmm. a pair of eyeglasses, uh, a Bible, a couple of bowls, a couple of spoons, uh, a little like silver tray and something that looks like a knife, and a pocket watch. That's it. Wow. All of, so if Gandhi was caught in a fire, he'd he'd have no problem. First of all, he'd be wearing one of the pairs of the shoes, so he's only got to grab one other one. And And he's got his his glasses on. He's got his glasses on. His pocket watch is on him. So really, a couple of bowls, a couple of spoons, and he probably doesn't care if he takes those or not. And that's everything that he owns in the world, let alone what he wants to take. Now, we're not all Mahatma Gandhi, obviously, but there's something to be learned by the fact that someone as significant as as him, and remember, who had great uh, power, even though he never had a position, he never formally had a position in the government, he wasn't ever the prime minister or things like that, but but yet he had equal power to the presidents Mm -hmm. and the prime ministers. He was able to, and he wasn't living like a monk. He didn't live in a tree. He didn't hum all day. He didn't say, I don't have anything to do with anybody. He had plenty to do with many, many, many people. But in terms of things that he had to have around him, had to have in order to make his life happy, they all fit on like a a, a single step in a display Mm -hmm. in a museum now in India. So voluntary simplicity was something that he uh, practiced, was well known for, and it it didn't hurt him in any way. So now we're faced with forced simplicity. That's different than volunteer simplicity. Volunteer simplicity, he wasn't dealing with a sudden freeze storm. He wasn't dealing with, yeah. uh, you know, a fire. But he was dealing, uh, you know, he chose that. And... There's something to be said for choosing it before it chooses you. Mm-hmm. Choosing it before it chooses you. Here's Maury talking about as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, his attitude towards possessions. Listen. Have you found even in the last couple of years that um, items, possessions, are even less significant have you noticed that even oh yeah that even less like thinking oh. about what kind of television oh, you have. yeah well <laughs> you know i i uh never used to buy a lot anyway but by now i don't hardly buy anything i just see them as necessarily functional you got to buy something 
to eat and to clothe. And, you know, if you want a television set, see what's going on in the world. In no way is an important part of my life. I've had that for a long time. And I can tell you, in visiting Maury, uh, there was almost never a time that he asked for something, like bring me this or bring me that. He was so happy to just have people come and talk to him and visit with him, and you were enough. You, your visit was enough. Your conversation was enough. He, he didn't want anything else. And so sometimes I think, okay, when we're stuck in blackouts, when we've, we've all had them, Texas is yeah. going through them now. Now, obviously, you're cold and you, know, you got to do things to protect your home. But to pass the hours, you have the people who are in your life, presumably in yeah. the home, haven't you ever had a blackout, a snowstorm, or the power goes out where you, you're forced to just sort of sit with your family members and play with a flashlight, play a game of Monopoly or, or Parcheesi yes. or something, and play cards because the TV doesn't work, the radio doesn't work, so what are we going to do? Yeah. How are we going to entertain ourselves? And you end up having a pretty decent time. Or you make a, make a meal out of something. Maybe you got some candles and you can cook something. If it's, if it's the summertime, cook something outside. Or, or you eat something cold or you have, you, know, you have cereal and milk that everybody gets for dinner and you're sitting around and you have nothing else to do. There's no disruption. Can't have any TVs on. So what do you do? You talk, right? You sit yes. and you talk. I've experienced many of those things and where you walk around with the candles, you know, or the flashlights, and there's almost a sense when the power goes back on of nostalgia for the dark and for the quiet of it all. Now, this is not to say in any way that, hey, people in Texas and southern states, you're really lucky to, to not have any power. Of course you're no, not. Because, and of course yeah, you want to get that on. Yeah, and it's yeah. cold and it's dangerous and people's lives Ceilings are at risk. Ceilings caved in. Right. Water of flooding. Course. But not everywhere and not in every house and not, and not every house is threatened like that. But it does, and I'm sure people there are now having, having gone through it for a few days, had to go through that thing of like, well, all right, what's essential and what do we do and how do we pass the time? And oh, we, you know, we bundle up our, our, in our coats and, and, and we sit here and we're shivering. And then you realize there are parts of the world where that's an everyday occurrence, where people have to do that just to get through the day. And it's not because yeah. there was a power outage. And it's not because the windmills stopped turning. And it's not because somebody screwed up in the energy planning for the state or anything like that. It's because they don't have the means the technology, the money, the wealth to deal with it otherwise. And so being cold every day, wearing jackets and blankets against the cold every day is is part of everyday life. Ask people who are homeless in Detroit. I know many of them. I know many of them who have ingenious ways of dealing with the elements because they have to. A friend of mine started a nonprofit a few years back, she had been a kind of fashion designer at a very prestigious school here in Detroit. And she had her senior project before she went out into the world. And she decided to try to design a sleeping bag that could be worn as a coat, a sleeping bag that could be worn as a coat. Her idea being that maybe she could give these to some homeless people. So if they had to sleep outside, they could actually have this sleeping bag, but 
Then during the day, you know, you don't want to just walk around hauling the sleeping bag under your arm. So the sleeping bag could serve as the coat. And she came up with a design. And now it's one of the most successful young charitable businesses that you'll find in the whole country. They employ 30 people and they make these coats and they distribute them all over the country and even all over the world now. Uh, And I see homeless people. There's a homeless guy who's always on my route. When I go to work and I always That's stop. That's amazing. I always yeah. stop. I give him some money and, uh, and I see him you know, every day that I go to work. And he's wearing the coat. I got, I got him one and I gave it to him. And right. he wears the coat and, he, you know, and then he says he sleeps in it at night. So now this is somebody who has to, he doesn't have the, the, he wouldn't know the difference between the power being out or the power not being out because where he stays, it, it, it isn't often a factor. A lot of times he's sleeping right. outside. He's sleeping in parks. He's sleeping under benches. And so there are many people for whom they don't have the option of saying, boy, I miss my stuff. Boy, I miss my luxuries or the things I've gotten used to. And when you're forced into that situation, you will ultimately kind of recognize um, how much you need versus how much Mm -hmm. you want, how much you need versus how much you want. And there's a big difference, you know. What we need is a lot smaller than than what we think, you know. You know, where I'm always reminded of that is when I'm staying in a hotel. And I realize that the reason why I love staying in hotels so much is because I'm not cluttered. My my brain isn't cluttered. My insides aren't cluttered because all I have with me are the things I need Mm -hmm. right then. When I come home, it often throws me into a bit of a tailspin because I'm not in that super clean room. I don't have nothing on the bedside. I don't have... There's something about that simplicity that, uh, you know, you do appreciate. Again, that's not Excuse to me. downplay what's happening in some of these places. Well, I know what you're, you're, you're saying. And, of course, a hotel in many ways is considered luxurious and people have the opportunity to go to a hotel. But in many ways, hotels are uh, simple environments, too. They're, they're basic, you know, especially if you're going to a basic hotel. It's a bed. Right. It's a desk. It's a, it's a lamp. It's a bathroom. Uh, it's you, a shower, it's a television set, you know? Right, and you there have you like go. two pairs of shoes, maybe, and a couple outfits. Like, And I realized that, like, my mom was always like this. When she'd go on vacation, she'd only wear like two things the entire time right. for a whole week. And I started realizing that's all I do, too. I end up just swapping two different outfits. And I'm just taking that to real life, saying that we really don't need 500 pairs of pants or right. whatever, you know? Right. I mean, nobody... Probably right. has 500 pairs of pants, but right. that's just an exaggeration. Right. But Here is uh, Maury talking about the happiness that we try to achieve from possessions or even, you know, fancy experiences, vacations and things like that, and how fleeting they can be. You're happy you got a new car. You're happy because you're going on a vacation. These are short-lived experiences which are nice but it's not that basic condition in which you find deep satisfaction in living that is found in doing and creating the things that are important to you and always involved other people. 
You cannot be happy for and by yourself alone. Self-interested, selfish happiness is not happiness. So again, when forced to sort of uh, deal with a shortage of elements, you don't have power, uh, you can't, don't have electricity, there's no TV, it's cold. I find that people are much more willing to help one another. You're in that house, uh, oh, come on, a blanket, let's, let's share the blanket together, you know, let's get under the blanket together. Or uh, here, are you going to make, you know, you're going to turn on a, uh, you know, let me get you a flashlight. Here, here's a flashlight for, we, we just sort of think more in terms of sharing and taking care mm-hmm. of one another because we recognize what we're going through. And so, you know, if you're any kind of human being, your wife, your husband, your kids, you're, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to get a flashlight, but not for you guys. You're going to search for four flashlights. You're going to search for, you know, a way to, to make that box of cereal, find four bowls, and you're all going to... Yeah. People just tend to, tend to think of the other people who are around them in the house when you're fighting a common enemy, the common enemy being that you don't have power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here, like in Southern California, you know, it's earthquake country, so we have to keep earthquake kits, which I highly recommend that everybody does anyway. In there, Mm -hmm. we have everything from flares to ponchos, those, you know, warm silver ponchos to cans of food, money, water, um, all of those things. Everybody should keep on hand because every state, town, city has some sort of tragedy that could befall them, you know. And, uh, you know, it helps for sharing. Neighbors help neighbors around here all the time whenever we have situations like that. And you're seeing this in Texas, too, which is so wonderful that I saw this family on CNN. The woman has like eight kids and um, three of them, I think, are diabetic and they were having troubles with insulin and. But people, boy, they stepped forward from everywhere. They got the family a hotel room when they couldn't find one. Somebody used his points to get this whole family into a hotel. And so many people stepped forth. So you're right. Like, you know, you don't think of only yourself. And I think in these situations, it makes people be a little bit more human, you know? Well, it's true. And when you have have to fight against, like you say, uh, sort of a common enemy, people help one another and realize, wow, I'm without, they're without too. Uh, and I'm blessed to be able to see parts of the world that are extraordinarily poor. And when I say blessed, I, I didn't misspeak. I, I feel that it is a blessing to be able to visit and participate and live amongst uh, people who have so little, uh, not just here in Detroit where that happens a lot, but when I go to Haiti, which I do every month, I, you know, I'm amongst people who, who, by our standards, aren't below a poverty line. They don't register on the poverty line. They have mm. no income whatsoever. They're living in tents. You know, frequently when we go to get, you know, children are going to be um, interviewed for coming to live with us if they're staying with some other relative or something. So we'll go out and see where they're staying, see what the conditions are before we accept them into the orphanage. And you know, I've seen conditions that are just, they are literally four pieces of tin leaning on one another uh, with a mattress in the dirt and a bucket to use as a toilet. And that's it. And yet I've seen entire families living in that. And while none of them would ever say, yes, we're happy with our 
conditions. These are fine. We don't want anything more. But they get by every day. And they deal with what they have to deal with. And they laugh. And they smile. And they hold one another. And it's because there is so much poverty all around that mm-hmm. they recognize other people are doing it. And, and they just have to tough it out, too. And now nobody should have to live that way. And I'm not advocating that in any way. And we try our best to try to help people out of those situations. But it is it has enlightened me to see that it is possible to get through days that way and and mm-hmm. as good people and not to have to turn on other people and not to have to steal and not to have to take from other people because, you, you know, you, you just have so little. And so when you start to see how many different ways there are to live in this world, you realize that when the power goes off in our nice homes, if we live in the suburbs or something like that, that even what we have in our house, even the things that we have stocked in our cupboards, even the food that's in our refrigerator that we're going to have to eat because it's going to go bad, but we can we have it and we can eat it, we realize how much that is, how bountiful that is, how much more we have than so many other people in the world. And so sometimes... Sometimes the power going out can be a blessing in disguise. When you have that perspective, where does it take you ultimately? I, 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 I share with you one final little soundbite from Maury um, when we were sort of talking about how he was assessing his life and its influence. And this is what he said. So I teach at Brand Nice for 35 years. I have X number of students, each of whom is touched. But what I have to say, they spread it to their friends, or they become teachers, and on and on that way. So there is an interrelatedness between all human beings in subtle and gross ways. So it goes on without my knowledge. What you do has what I would call reverberating effects all over the place. Mm-hmm. Are those reverberations that you've caused, the ripples in the water that you've caused, uh, a uh, source of comfort for you right. in, your, in, your, in your final days more so than... Absolutely. More so than, you know, what you've accumulated or wealth or oh. possessions or anything like that. No So the measure of Maury's life turned out to be, as he sort of indicated there, not the things that he owned, not the things that he had, but who he reached, who he touched, what he had to say, and how he touched one person, they went out and spread it to someone else, spread it to someone else, spread it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And he said, it goes on without my knowledge even. Uh, I'm, I'm quite convinced you heard him say that what I call reverberating effects all over the place. Well, here we are, mm-hmm. 26 yeah. plus years yeah. from when he said that, and we're talking about him, and we're playing his voice, and we're using it in a contrast to something that's going on in 2021 that's very real. And wow. his, his wisdom still reverberates. So what am I trying to say here? That... What we find out when the lights go out and we're left with our family and our loved ones and we have those nice interactions, we have those dominoes games or the, or the cookies and milk that we share or the, 
you know, huddle up under the blanket because it's cold thing that we share. And we realize we're influencing one another. We're, we're having an effect on one another. And the good that we're having a, a effect on one another will be shared with somebody else. And our children, if they get that, they'll share it with their spouses and their children and the people in their workplace who will share it with their spouses and their children and the people in the workplace. And on and on it goes. And so when you think, oh, my God, I've lost everything. You know, I can't use my TV. I can't use my computer. The car's in the garage, and the garage door only opens with uh, electricity, so I can't get my car out. And you think you've got nothing. You may actually have more than you have ever realized and the kinds of things that are going to go on after you're not here because the house will be gone eventually, Mm -hmm. the car will be gone eventually, the TV will be gone eventually. But the people that Mm -hmm. you've influenced and touched, even the memory that you make in the... the Blackout. I still, there was a terrible blackout when I was in college that lasted for a couple of days uh, in, in, I guess this would be the late 70s. It, it went all the way up the eastern seaboard. And I remember we had a couple of days we just didn't have power and we had to use candles and flashlights and all that. And I can still recall the feeling of that, the jokes we made, the stuff we had to do far better than I can recall almost anything else that we did in college. It was a very memorable time. And yeah. these are opportunities in their own weird ways to make those memories with, not one another, with one another. I am not demeaning, diminishing, or in any way you know, marginalizing all the suffering that is going on. That's, that's huge and needs to be taken care of, clearly. But this isn't the first blackout. It won't be the last. This isn't the first power outage. It won't be the last. And there are... There are realizations that we can get when our world has to shrink down that we can take with mm-hmm. us when the world enlargens again, if that's such a word, enlarges mm-hmm. again. And no, uh, that's that's, that's right. one that I've taken from uh, experiences before. And I think Maury had tapped into that in his own way without ever having to have the lights go out. He had pretty much everything he needed, lights on, lights off. He was pretty much uh, in control of the things that mattered. So hopefully uh, there's some lesson there for all of us, even those of us who are blessed not to have to deal with this uh, ice storm and and the reverberations. Because at some point we will. We'll have our own version of it. There'll be an earthquake situation in California. Right. We'll have plenty of them here in Michigan. Keep in mind that uh, there's that exercise. Okay, what would I take from here? What do I really need from here? What's essential to this? And um, might help us get through some tough times. I hope it does. We're very grateful to have you join us for the Tuesday People podcast. Uh, WeTuesdayPeople.com on the web is where you can find out about previous podcasts. You can listen to them. You can see some discussion groups and chat in them as well and leave some comments. We always appreciate that. Until we talk to you again uh, with Lisa Goitz, thank you, Lisa, for everything. Stay warm. Thank you, Mitch. Well, I don't have to say stay warm out in California, but stay safe. Eh, and uh, I'll, I'll try to stay warm here in Michigan. And uh, to our audience, who we are most grateful for, I, I leave you with this. See you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>